Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we continue our Best of the Doctor series by reviewing Star Trek Deep Space Nine Hippocratic Oath, featuring Dr. Julian Bashir. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who Story himself, Cal Jones. How you doing, man? Doing quite well. Glad to be here as always and ready to talk with you guys about some more Star Trek. So glad to be here. Oh, yeah. And also on the podcast from the Ready Room Studios in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? Man, I am doing great tonight. A lot of rain happening here in Hattiesburg, so excuse the background noise if you hear it. Uh, And we're talking about a DS9 episode, so I couldn't be more happy. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Sorry about the rain, but, you know, at least it's not um, over 100 like it has been the last few days here in Texas. So, you know. Yeah. Hey, but it could be worse. I know Death Valley recorded 132 degrees like two weeks ago. Yikes. That was not the index. That was the actual temperature. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you like frying eggs on your car and stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, it was the highest Guinness Book World Records recorded as the highest temperature recorded on the planet. Oh, wow. That is crazy. Whew. Yeah. So, <laughs> in our Best of the Doctor series, we have reviewed quite a few episodes thus far. Uh, and, of course, tonight we'll be reviewing Hippocratic Oath, a DS9 Season 4 episode. If you want to watch ahead... The next episode we'll be reviewing is a Star Trek Voyager episode featuring the Doctor, Tinker, Tenor, Doctor, Spy. Season 6, Episode 4. What we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail in addition to talking all things Trek. Please leave a review and also like and subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you may be currently listening on to make sure you don't miss an episode. And with that, we'll get right into our review of Star Trek Deep Space Nine Hippocratic Oath. Hippocratic Oath is the fourth episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. It was written by Nicholas Correa and Lisa Klink. It was directed by Rene Argebonois. Bashir is asked to help a group of renegade Jemadar break their addiction to Ketracel White. Meanwhile, Worf is dissatisfied with the way Odo runs security. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we look to Kyle Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. You never know. Kyle Jones, what do you have, man? So you say sometimes serious, sometimes comedic, and I'm going to go outside the box and give you both this time short sweet but both serious and comedic so which do you want first you're the host what's your choice serious or comedic i think i want serious give me serious i think that we need to start off with that all right so we're going to start serious and we're going to say it's all about perspective and the roles played Mm, interesting so you ready now for silly and funny Hey, give it to me. All right, here we go. Oh, Jim Hadar, worry not about your genetic flaw. Worry because you remind me of Tim Shaw. (laughs) Oh, Cal dropping the 
deep, deep Doctor Who references on the podcast tonight. <laughs> that could also be translated into Whovian speak and say Chris Chibnall copied the look from Tim Shaw from the Jim Hadar. Just somewhat, saying. somewhat. I do get somewhat. that. Somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I do get that. Wow. <laughs> but in all seriousness, it is all about the end. Back to the episode. It is all about perspective and the roles that the characters were playing. So I was really serious there. So with that, we'll go ahead and get the overall high level views of the episode. And we'll start with you, John. What do you think, man? Oh, man, I'm biased. Of course, I'm going to say this is great. Um, Trying to think of it objectively. It touched on, I, I like this episode because it kind of touches on, which I guess all trick really does and most of the time, touches on what can be seen as real life issues and how we address them. And that was just another situation of this, which we'll get into a little little further. Uh, but also, I know we mentioned a lot doing, during Lord Dex about the two storylines going at the same time, and we get that a lot in DS9. And sometimes it can be detrimental and sometimes not. But I think this time they did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, agreed. Cal, uh, any additional thoughts? No, I will. Well, yes, I do. I will actually agree with everything that Jonathan just said. I will add on top of that that I do like Chief O'Brien. But if I were someone who had never seen Star Trek and specifically never seen DS9, I think I would have gone away not liking him as a character. So that that is a good thing from the writing, because just in this episode, for me liking the character, I disliked him in this episode. So very good writing <laughs> and everything Jonathan said. Yeah, for, for me on a high level view, I think I like the A and B stories, like, like John mentioned. I think they both were well done. Very different though. Um, usually the A and B plots kind of mirror each other. And I guess if you were to say these mirror each other in any way, I guess it could be following the rules or following the chain of command properly. I guess you could kind of insinuate that a bit in the two storylines, but definitely, um, a great look at, a friendship that is rocked by uh, extreme circumstances. And, you know, if we're looking at this to be one of the, the a doctor focused episode, you definitely have the dilemma of not necessarily, oh, I found this amazing cure for this disease. It's should I even be looking for the cure for this disease? You know, <laughs> in this episode, we see Worf try to do things the old way on DS9, where DS9 is a very different place with very different rules, as we obviously see in this episode. And also we get to see uh, Bashir and O'Brien, their their friendship. We know that seemingly can stand the test of times, be put to the test in a very extreme situation. Great dynamics on all end. And I consider this a, a great, great episode. So does anybody have any additional comments before we get into the meat and potatoes of this story? Yes, if you don't mind, before we get too far, I do want to mention something about a point you just made. And it's not that I disagree with you, but I just want to kind of give my perspective on it. You said that the A and B story didn't quite feel that much attached. For me, the way I was looking at it, they filled or felt completely attached. And what I mean by that is you saw not necessarily the friendship between O'Brien and the doctor. And as, as such, I saw it more so as the role that 
Chief O'Brien played and the role that Bashir played. And likewise, between Odo and Worf, it was the role that Worf had played on the Enterprise mm. versus his role that he's no longer has that Odo has on the, you know, on the station. So that was the dynamic I looked for and saw it as. So from that perspective, it was to, uh, you know, two counter store or two parallel stories that kind of were the same, but different. Yeah. And it, and also additionally, I, I feel like it was a lot of tough love. I don't even know if that's the right phrase phrasing for that, but we'll talk about it, but you get where you see Bashir, um, not really love, but really just the breaking of orders by O'Brien. But by doing so, he was showing he really cared for him by not allowing him to uh, pursue his medical um, <laughs> imagination and feats, even though I think he, he had a better reason reasoning overall, because doing such could could change the tide of, of the war with the Dominion. So. He had some good mm. points in what he was trying to do. But again, O'Brien cared about him enough to be like, look, I know what you're trying to do. But if we don't leave now, we might not survive, you know. But also you look on the side with with Cisco and Worf. He has to kind of give Worf tough love to be like, look, I know in Enterprise y'all did things one way. But, you know, DS9 is a little different <laughs> scenario going on here. A different dynamic. Well, one thing I, I would like to point out. Um, you know, if you watch, we see a lot of Chief O'Brien, Chief O'Brien on, well, not maybe not a lot. We see him quite a bit on Enterprise. Uh, but usually you see him as the very efficient transporter chief, uh, that is obviously very smart and very technically sound, but you never really see more than that. Yeah. Going through DS9, you start to get a dig a little bit into Chief O'Brien's past. And as we'll get to at a certain point, it's mentioned that he's seen battle. Yeah. Uh, Chief O'Brien has seen a lot of battle. And I think what the dynamic that he has with Worf on DS9 is great to me because you'll know through. And it's kind of kind of gives an example of why Worf is the way he is on this episode as well. You know, on TNG, Worf is the security officer. And he's always his first like his instinct is fight battle. You must win this fight. Like everything is going to come down to a fight or a battle. Yeah. And we have to win that battle at all costs. Like that's just what he does as a security officer. Chief O'Brien through DS9, that is usually I mean, he's always focused on technical because he's basically the engineer. But because he's been in so much battle, I don't think in this particular episode, in my opinion, it was just more of his battle instinct telling him that they couldn't do it more than worried about whether they get away, get away alive or not. Does hmm. that make sense? Because you'll see a few episodes where it's just he he gets in these situations and it's just like we're at war or we're fighting like this is the way this has to go. If we're to win this, this is the way it has to go because this is war or this is a battle. Yeah. And, and, and maybe that's the whole point of the two parallel stories, whereas you had. In, in Worf and Odo's situation, Worf was going with his instinct, which basically stopped a situation where Odo was trying to find the head big boss of this illegal thing they were doing. And and also, if you look to Bashir and O'Brien, Bashir's idea was to 
get to something bigger instead of doing the instinctive thing of just running. He wanted to, okay, maybe we can turn the tide on this war if we get the Jemadar on our side, you know. Maybe we can break their reliance on the Dominion and Avorta by um, getting them on our side. So, yeah, that's a very great point there of of how both of our guys from the Enterprise, formerly from the Enterprise, (laughs) were, were operating purely on instinct. And, and that is that's the modus operandi for them. They didn't sway from that in this episode, which is <laughs> great point. Again, we just talked about old habits, but I know once you do a certain job for so long, it's hard to break habits or better yet, allow things that t- you take pride in. Uh, <laughs> Worf is serious about his his pew pew and his security, you know, <laughs> and he t- <laughs> and and, and uh, you know what? I, I kind of agree with Worf. He's just letting these Odo the security officer on DS9, security chief on DS9, is seemingly letting things go unaddressed. So what do we think about Worf and his difficulty selling in on his new role with the station? You know, again, not security officer. He, he's strategic operations, just totally different role for him. Thoughts? Regardless of the, of the different roles, I go back into perspective and you know, I, I'll use an uh, example of something I went through about seven or eight years ago where my job changed and I went from having a lot of access to a lot of information to having a new role with much less access to a much less information. And it was an adjustment for me because there were things that you did that were just like second nature because of what you have previously done in a different scenario that was no longer the case. So there is this moment and this period of growing pains, for lack of a better word. And I think that's what Worf was going through was he was so used to, he was so accustomed to a certain set that it was just like second nature. And he had to However it was, whether it's a conversation with Cisco, whether it's a scene in the later part of the episode, whatever it may be, he had to come to that realization that things have changed. So that was kind of my thought. John, what do you think about this whole when in Rome mentality that Worf <laughs> had to kind of get adjusted to? Uh, I mean, I, I agree with Kyle. It, it's, I mean, it just, he had to get to a point where he realized that it wasn't the same. And, you know, we get, closer to the end of the episode or the actual end of the episode and Cisco says it perfectly you know that you know starship operations you know it's black or white like it's easy to see you know what's right and what's wrong but on a space station especially this one and you're next to the very first stable wormhole uh and that's very important in alpha quadrant and obviously there's a lot of traffic from a lot of different species that are not federation allies uh so i mean there's a lot changing on this station and to be either black or white on it it would it, it would not be productive and Cisco says the best. You just you have to get used to operating in a gray area and obviously running with I mean on Captain Picard's ship, like you were to the letter. Like yeah. you're dressed to the letter, you stand the right way, you speak the right way. Like everything was to the point because it had to be that way. You're operating the flagship of the Federation. But on the space station, it's just like you're in the middle of the city. You know what I mean? Like you don't supposed to jaywalk, but maybe you do. <laughs> 
Like, yeah. and Clarence, I know we're kind of going off subject when we all went to New York that time. And like, you know, I know me personally, like I'd see the don't walk sign and I was kind of hesitant. But like the entire crowd just yeah. walked when there was yeah. a like and you just kind of got to go with that if you want to make it across. Like, oh, I just kind of feel like it was that area he had to get used to. Or maybe you just walk with everybody so that you can find out who's really the leader of who's walking, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very true. What I found so beautiful about Cisco's explanation to Worf is that if you go back to those early episodes of Deep Space Nine, Cisco went through the same thing. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And even Chief O'Brien, for that matter. Um, When it comes to regulations and technical specifications of the space station, he was... He was really pulling his hair out over it. So so it, it's cool to see somebody new come in and go through some of those same growing pains that that but, other officers did at first. In defense of Cisco, though, he he did catch on pretty fast. Like most people want to quirk out like yeah. soon as Federation took over and he's seen the opportunity to keep him there. And it was not the way the Federation would have wanted him to handle it. Like he basically made a business proposition with Quark. Yeah. And held and held a debt over his head for it. So that goes into my next question into Odo, the station security and his unconventional means of of operation. I mean, what do we think of Odo's style? And honestly, again, you just mentioned Cisco's bargain with Quark. But Quark, anywhere else, I guess, other than Free Cloud, he would probably be in jail. (laughs) What do we we think about Quark just being around? Because he gets away with a lot of stuff on the show, to be honest. Does he, though? Yeah, kind of. I mean... Dude, he, he lives up in the 1960s because like... he's trying to like do an illegal trade on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he keeps doing crazy stuff, but never really gets in you know any real trouble. But you know they have a bargain, I guess. Uh, yeah. But at the end of the day, and and no offense to the actor or the character or whatever or anybody that's a court fan, but does anybody really take Cork seriously? No. And hence, maybe that's the answer. They do. Everybody takes Quark seriously until, and Cisco again said it best, once you know how Quark operates, then it's all good. Like he, and and that's kind of what Cisco realized. Quark is really not doing anything wrong, but being 100% Ferengi. And once you understand that, you can deal with him. And let me add another layer to that, to not accommodate and deal with Quark as Quark is because of how you are, wouldn't that be in a discrimination against his species not to to do what is natural to that species based on the culture they've created? Yeah, laws are laws. Come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally see what you're saying, though. I I 100% agree. Um, Yeah, and and again, Odo in this episode doing... Double Reen Arjabon while doing double duty there as director and um and also starring in pretty not a hefty part, but you know, he's in this episode a good bit as well. See, he should have told Worf that, like, man, I can't arrest him. Now I'm directing this freaking episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But you know, 
and it kind of kind of tie into what we're here to talk about. You know, when Bashir first comes onto the ship and he says something and it's really kind of a smug kind of superiority complex type statement. But, you know, he comes there. He's like, I just wanted to be out here in the wild and frontier medicine <laughs> on the fringes <laughs> on the fringes. Yeah. But I mean, is it not what we're dealing with? Like that is technically what this station is compared to the rest of Starfleet. It's the Mose Osley of the Star Trek universe. We're on the outer <laughs> realm with a, with, a, with a big dose of Babylon five in the mix. <laughs> Touche. Let's 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 pivot and get into Bashir and O'Brien storyline. We've hinted on it already. You know, the the character moments between Dr. Bashir and Chief O'Brien. I just love those moments. They're so good. And I guess the first interaction, <laughs> the first interaction is episode is they're returning in the sh- in the shuttle adds fuel to the fire of everybody shipping the two. <laughs> you know, I think you often see O'Brien and Bashir get shipped and you see Garrick and Bashir get shipped. Um, everybody knows the ship is right. I'm not. Mm-hmm. A, OK, but but yeah, I just <laughs> I just found that initial conversation where O'Brien's like, oh, I want to put a, a station in my bedroom. And, and um he's like, well, I, I need I need my wife to be more understanding like you. <laughs> Bashir just like. <laughs> The character moments are so good. Yeah. Well, again, that's one of the things that make this series so great is the character. So they eventually land on, well, crash land onto this planet after they pick up a sub subspace pulse of some type. And they think it's a distress call. So they divert and investigate trouble strikes. They hit a plasma field crash on the planet and they are taken prisoner by the Jim Adar. Initially, what surprised me about their first interaction with the Jemadar is that the Jemadar display like an impressive amount of knowledge about rank. And I was just really surprised they knew so much about, you know, Chief O'Brien, his rank and, you know, the doctor and, and, and you know, what is his duties and all this stuff. So all of that stuff really, really surprised me. So what, well, just first of all, what do you guys think of that initial exchange with Jemadar and did we feel like they should have known as much as they knew? And, and and also maybe somebody can speak on when Bashir fires back when he speaks of the Catcher Cell White because he knows a lot about it as well. So any thoughts of, I guess, this this uh, battle of intelligence that I kind of noticed at the very beginning of their uh, interaction? I I thought it was a good, strong moment for Bashir. Not necessarily giving a lot of thought about how they knew what they knew, my assumption was this is DS9 like we've been talking about, and whoever is stationed there, there's going to be spies, there's going to be people that are going to be selling information, and I just assumed that they picked it up on the black market of this is what these people do, because the more information they have, more information is knowledge. So that was just my assumption. I thought that Bashir handled himself well as being a strong character, not necessarily as what they may have thought as, oh, he's the doctor, he's weak or something. So, so John, let me ask you, Catcher Cell White, did you initially think of it as being a drug or a necessity? And I know oftentimes a drug can become a necessity, but I always initially thought that they, they had to have it to live. Is is that our impression coming away from this? Uh, well, yeah, it should be. And 
Well, yeah, and I think this is the episode where you learn that, and that's kind of what they want you to understand. And I think the key point to it, not necessarily, you know, although, like I said, at the big top of this episode, it touches on subjects that we deal with in real life. And one of those things is addiction. And it's not necessarily the point of it. They weren't really making a point that it was a drug, which anything that you can't you psychologically can't live without can become a biological dependent. And we understand that. But I think what they were trying to point out was that they were genetically bred to have to need this. So I I don't know if you would call it more of a drug than I don't know. I don't you get what I'm saying? Like, I I get the feeling that they want you to understand that this is just kind of they were made to need this like humans were made to need water and food and you know what I mean? But I just so happen it's a chemical that is created by humanoids. Yeah. And, and what I found very interesting about that is we have this one Jemadar leader, Goran Agar, who somehow miraculously waned himself, weaned himself off of the Ketracel white. You know, he doesn't eat the white anymore. In fact, his body produces it, it, it himself. So interestingly enough, in this episode, they talked about how they see the founders as their gods that they never see or never have afterlife. But then he he somehow has this miraculous thing that happens to him. And, you know, this is exactly what I would do (laughs) if if I think it was there was a, a method behind the madness. I would go back to the place where it happened, which you see this in religion and, you know, where miracles happen. People go bathe in the water, you know. That somebody else did. And, you know, we've seen in the Bible where that, you know, that person will become clean as well. You know, I'm thinking of a leprosy example specifically. But but yeah, I I, I applaud uh, Goran Agar for bringing his his brothers there to try to replicate the same thing. But I think what's really sad about this is that even though it did happen, we, we ha- he has no idea what caused it or even if it can be replicated. Um, just the dynamic there. And really putting it all on the line by bringing these very value, <laughs> uh, violent individuals to this one place with a limited supply, five days uh, of white <laughs> to 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 try to survive. Yeah, so I just found yeah. that that really, really interesting and fascinating. One, one thing that they mentioned in this that I'd never really thought about, but I guess it's 100 percent, 100 percent true is that the Jemadar are basically just slaves, you know dependent slaves that they're working doing a bidding of the Vorta slash founders. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think you're right. Um, I'm well, I, I was sitting here trying to think of something in modern world. That's why I was just kind of sitting here going like uh 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 of something that would be equivalent to that of where well, look at the eighties. Maybe I have it. Look at the eighties when you had the crack epidemic start, and that was it many times put out by, you know, how did all of that get started? And, you know, that's a yeah, conversation yeah. for another day. Oh, but yeah, That could get deep. That can get deep. Yeah. And maybe think about it. This was in early 90s. So maybe that was just, you know, taking that from the 80s. And this is in what, 95-ish that this was? Yeah. yeah. So... You know, it's not too far removed from reality. So there you go. 
Kyle, are you saying they put crack in the hoods? <laughs> I'm just saying they're put, they're putting it in the Jemnadar. That's all I'm saying. No, Who's I mean the Jemnadar. <laughs> I mean, excellent analogy, though. I really, that's really an excellent analogy of how you know making this seemingly dependent um, substance for for these people to survive. And, and obviously, I mean, you know, John just said it. It's, it's the difference here is that, that it was seemingly genetically engineered into their biology. So very, very interesting stuff. Let's talk about the difference of approaches here. We have Bashir on one side who is, and even O'Brien mentions it, that they're appealing to your compassion to try to get your help, which is exactly right. And, and honestly, I can't blame Bashir one bit, but we do see a lot of times where people in a specific field whether it be medical or science or, you know, some feel get coaxed into something because they're so curious, you know, they're so curious about what could be done that they're more likely to to jump in and do something they might not should be doing. That being said, I, I think Bashir's ultimate goal may have still been good. But but let's just talk a little bit about the difference of opinion here and the difference of ways to to get out of this situation. You know, we kind of mentioned it up top. O'Brien, pew pew, uh, Bashir <laughs> wanting to actually help. Is there any additional thing we can add here to, to, to the things we mentioned earlier? You know, initially, you know, when he initially asked Bashir to help and Bashir agrees and then, you know, they have that first interaction uh, with Goring Goringer. I don't know how to say his name right. But anyway, that first interaction, and you know, he's asking Bashir, did you find anything yet? And obviously Bashir is like not even interested. Like, hey, look at this leaf. There's extra chlorophyll in it. Like you just <laughs> said it was extra green. So Yeah. Like and obviously the Jemhandar doesn't know it. So well, I mean obviously at that point, you know, he's on board with O'Brien. Yeah. So I don't think I don't think really the curiosity got to him. I think it was more of the morality of it after mm. that conversation he had. So you know, after the mod the little makeshift weapon O'Brien made, like the Jimadar accidentally shot his buddy in the leg. Like you know, Chief O'Brien was taken back to the holding cell. Well, Bashir was there to witness how Goringer was actually after a different way of life. Yeah. And he demonstrated that demonstrated that by not killing the officer that was pretty much injured beyond repair at the moment. Yeah. Which is, you know, the Jim Hadar's way is if you cannot fight, you cannot live. And I mean, all Jim Hadar knows that they have like this strict set of rules. Whoever is the first, you got to have blind obedience to the person in charge. If you disobey, you die like they're. They follow those rules 100 percent. And for him to break that at that point kind of made Bashir say, well, how can I turn down someone who was bred to be obedient to this rule who's now deciding to break it? No, no, I totally agree with you. I was just going to say it again, relating back to the the title of the episode, Hippocratic Oath. And I'm reading from Google here from well, actual medicine.net. Uh, one of the oldest binding documents in history, the oath written by Hippo Hippocrates which is said to be, they don't know if that's a person or a group, uh, but Hippocrates is still held sacred by physicians to treat the ill to the best of one's ability to preserve a patient's privacy and to teach others the secrets of medicine for, for the next generation and so on. So, I mean, obviously, and, and I, I agree with you totally, John, two, two things here. I think the first one is when 
the Jemadar got shot and he didn't immediately kill them. I think there was one thing, but also when they open that, well, they go into the room to see all the Jemadar that were really just, oh yeah, uh, you know, c- trying to slowly be weaned off of this substance. I think it was a, it was a myriad of factors that kind of played on Bashir's sympathy and his oath as a doctor to try to 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 do something better for for these people. And he he calls them people. They're people. <laughs> yeah. So, so let me ask a question, and I hope I'm not jumping ahead here, but this was something that I never understood whenever I watched it, and I may have just missed it. But did we ever find out why? It worked for him, and it did not work for the others. Uh, I don't think we did. I don't think we did. Well, Bashir mentions toward the end. Well, I mean, they don't. They never get us for for certain. But you will. I know there's a further episode where Garmin Garminger or whatever comes comes back, and for another mid. I don't remember. I think there was some rogue Jimadar. Anyway, he's still alive, obviously. But I think Bashir mentions comes to the conclusion that maybe like maybe just somehow genetically you never needed this. Mm. Like it was said at the top of the show that you were genetically engineered to have to have this or you die. Well, what if he, that genetic marker was missing and he never really needed it. I'm so glad you pointed that out. Cause that, that confused me. Cause I thought they were talking about when he said you, I thought he's talking about you as a Jim Adar, not you as Gorn Agar. Yeah. Him specifically. Oh yeah. See, and that, that, that adds a lot to it. Cause I thought the same thing you did Clarence. Hmm. That gives me a different outlook on the episode. <laughs> yes, Clarence, indeed. You can't just generalize a race on one person. <laughs> You can if they look like Tim Shaw. <laughs> Are you saying all Jim and I look the same? <laughs> no, they don't look as bad as Tim Shaw. There you go. I'm going to have to Google this Tim Shaw guy. No, no. Save your save your time. <laughs> okay. Oh, but, you know, again, I mentioned up top about rank and duty. And, of course, once we get to the end of this episode, it plays a very important role and john this i guess this is a question for you i know chief is just a petty officer he's the you know just chief petty officer and you have dr pressure who's at this point i think might be a lieutenant i have trouble when i try to rationalize rank versus position to me it's just weird when you think about it in the star trek universe and and you know i'm not an army person so i have no idea of the specifics here but i always get in a confusing loop when I think of rank versus position. Of course, Bashir, chief, chief medical officer on DS9, but he's not going to have more battle experience than the chief petty officer. He's like a medicine guy, you know? So, of course, in the right situation, he would be the right person, but this is definitely not a situation that would probably lead to his leadership. Or does each lieutenant have a baseline? I'm assuming that's what how it goes. Well, it kind of goes back. So always you have to start from the understanding that the Federation is based on peaceful exploration. And to that end, the most qualified leaders in the Federation are those that are most trained to handle situations without battle or, you know what I mean? They, they have to be intelligent, diplomatic, 
and they train them as such. So you go through Starfleet Academy to get that training to make sure you're ready for that. What you also have to understand and what throws people off is Chief O'Brien is not an enlisted man in the Federation. Mm. He's working for the Federation, but he gets the chief title because he's not enlisted. So kind of like if you went to a military base here and worked as a, I don't know, a maintenance technician or something to that effect. Like you didn't go through basic training. You didn't go get all of the training that you needed to be a soldier, although you work for the military. Yeah. Hmm. Does that make sense? So Chief O'Brien never really carries any rank higher than a cadet or ensign. He can command those cadets and ensigns that's under his direct department. So like there's the cadets and ensigns that are in his engineering department, but you'll notice further in the series, you know, Nog starts to work uh, for chief O'Brien in engineering. No, not Nog, his dad. Uh, what's his name? Wrong. Oh no. Yeah, it's wrong, but that's not the point. Nog, Nog gets, goes to Starfleet Academy and he comes back as an ensign and he tells chief O'Brien, well, now you have to ask, call me, sir. You're right. Oh, it hurts my brain. So, yeah, if you take Chief O'Brien out of it, then it kind of makes a little bit more sense. Uh, And then always the red, the red command level officers will always outrank everybody else, except the doctor for some reason. Well, not we know the reason doctors will always in an emergency situation carry a higher rank. Yeah, because, I mean, at some point they have to order the captain around. So they have to carry, I think, at least lieutenant commander, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it, it just gets so weird because we've seen Chief O'Brien around for so long. And yeah. you would think there would be something he could do to become like an official officer. You know, he could go through Starfleet Academy. Yeah. You know what? Uh, I always enjoy and since we've been watching these doctor episodes and I, and you know, in every series, we kind of get to see this where the doctor actually pulls rank. And for to me, that's always interesting. Like, I like to see when the doctor kind of takes authority and kind of shows, you know, hey, don't forget that I also went through this training. I also carry a rank. I'm not just the guy in the medical bay. You know what I mean? They're the last person you think of about when you think of somebody doling out orders. They're always the last person. And and even in this situation, although psychologically, although I point blank know that he has a higher rank than than Chief O'Brien, it's just hard for me to rationalize seeing him on screen to say, look, I'm the senior officer here. You're going to do what I say. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> and, and again, like all the stuff we've seen Bashir, I mean, we've seen O'Brien go through, not just on TNG, but like on DS9, he's been through some 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 pretty interesting missions, you know? Oh, yeah. So it just, it just always weirds me out a bit. Yeah, but I think that's all I have. Um, again, I love that dynamic between those two on the rank and what we're going to do. <laughs> you know, eventually uh, we see Chief O'Brien break those orders we just mentioned being so vital. He's like, no, nah, um, I'm not going, you know, Chief, I'm not going is what Bashir tells him. And he's like, look, I'm destroying this thing. We getting the heck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it- I have to be, I have to mention, like, and again, I'm biased because this is my favorite series, but like when we've been reviewing these doctors and I'll be hard pressed to find a situation where a doctor works harder 
to solve a situation than Bashir has. And not in just this episode. There's a couple of different episodes in DS9 where the doctor is presented with a problem. Dr. Bashir is presented with a problem and he has to fix it. And the effort and care he puts into it is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Like it it, it goes beyond duty. It, it It's like almost personal. Whereas, you know, some of the other doctors that we review kind of is almost more of a duty than a personal want. Hmm. I think with Bashir is the first time I felt like maybe it's just him and the doctor on Voyager where I felt like the doctor's knowledge was just so vastly superior. I mean, even though we've seen other doctors do pretty miraculous things, it's just like you really don't ever expect Bashir to fail for some reason, (laughs) you know? Well, well, we know why he and he and the doctor from Voyager have substantial advantages over the other doctors. I mean, Voyager is a programmed with medical knowledge of almost all the all the medical knowledge in Starfleet. And Dr. Bashir is genetically enhanced. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely one of my favorites. I can't wait to we, you know, wrap up this next episode and try to do a ranking, which is going to be a feat unto itself. Um, But that sounds fun. (laughs) Can't wait to get into that. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap this thing up? This one made us think, and that's always a good thing. Yeah, it really did, man. I, I really love this episode. Really love this episode. And I'm going to start off by saying uh, with the rating, and I'm going to give it a 4.8. I really have very few things that I didn't love about it. I, uh, man, you can't beat the Bashir O'Brien interaction. It it was cool seeing Worf be a bit of a fish out of water, um, trying to invoke his security knowledge upon the station, which I thought was great. And see, Odo put him in his place, which is great as well. So, <laughs> uh, and oh, another thing I want to mention: I just loved that this episode we saw little of Cisco, but it's just like he was just chilling, having fun the whole episode, playing with his little <laughs> machine, tinkering around. He's like, I'm chilling. I'll let y'all do all the hard work. This one. <laughs> But yeah, 4.8 is going to be my rating. What what about you, Kyle? You know what? I like 4.8, and I'm going to stick to it. I, I think for everything you just said, I will add that I think I like the Odo and Worf story a little bit better because Chief rubbed me a l- the wrong way a little bit for some <laughs> reason in this episode. I loved Bashir, though, as the, you know, the things that he did, but, but, um, yeah, so 4.8 for me. Kyle, I would, I would love to you just take a minute and tell me, because we didn't get to it. I'm sorry. Just tell me what, what about the Chief O'Brien in this episode that really irked you. I, I saw it more so, and I understand everything that you guys just said about his, um, you know, protecting and, you know, looking at it from the perspective of we don't want it to go back. And, you know, there was no guarantee that they, that, Things were going to be peaceful, et cetera, and so forth. I get all of that. But I saw it more so from a perspective of, and especially because they were mad at each other at the end, it was more so of a not, I'm trying to protect you. I saw it more so as, this is how I want to do things. This is how I want to do things. Hmm. And they don't mix. And it just so happened that, you know, they they had out. to, at this point, work together at the end because they had no choice because he destroyed what uh, 
Bashir was working on. So there was no other choice now but to escape and leave. I saw it more so, especially with him saying at the end, there was a back and forth about maybe we won't have our card game tonight, but maybe by the end of the week, there was an acknowledged I'm pissed off at you moment. (laughs) Which I really love that as well. So that that was my thing. That just was like, I saw it as O'Brien being, I'm going to get my way regardless. This is what I'm doing. Blah. That's how I interpret it. Hmm. And, 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 And before I go to John, I just want to say, you know, of course, Michael Burnham committed mutiny. You know, you can't really get past that. But there are all types types of examples of people breaking orders in Star Trek. And people just act like Michael Burnham is the worst person ever. Of course, you know, uh, uh, Vulcan pinching your captain is not a good thing to do. Spoilers. But but <laughs> but there's I was watching an episode the other day, uh, season six episode episode called Suspicions, where where um, uh, Crusher like blatantly disobeys uh, Picard's orders, you know, it happens all the time in Star Trek. So, I mean, I just find that point interesting. And I guess I wasn't going anywhere with that. Just to say, don't be so hard on Michael (laughs) Burnham. You know, people break orders in Star Trek all the time. But anyway, John, what what is your rating, man? Um, Man, this is hard for me. You know, for me to rate this based on... I just know there's some more DS9 out there that's even better episodes. But just for what it is, I'll say 4.5. Oh, wow. Uh, Just because it's hard to say, man. I guess I'm still (laughs) thinking of it as what else? What else have I seen? You know what I mean? Like this is probably not one of my favorite DS9 episodes, but it's really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and that's kind of where I'm going with the four. It's hard for me to say five, but this is by far my favorite episode that we've reviewed as far as the doctors. Yeah. And I could be biased about that. But as far as storyline, character development, uh, even the visuals, I mean, all of that was good. The A and B stories went well. They didn't really clash with each other. It didn't really confuse us. It was easy to follow them both at the same time. I mean, all of that was great. All of that was great. And all of that being said, I I just I have to go 4.5. Yeah, it it was interestingly a straightforward story, but they managed to keep it interesting and engaging. And, you know, they always hit us with that moral dilemma. Oh, should we help these these enemies of ours? (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I I, I, good, good, good showing all around. All right. Let's go ahead and get. um, And with that, let's see what everybody has been working on podcast related or otherwise. What are you watching or whatever you're into? Let's start with you, Cal Jones. So since I you know, keep mentioning Doctor Who, I will say if you are a fan of Doctor Who, go out and check us out. Clarence, myself, and our friend Lee Shackelford, along with other voices here and there, to DiscussingWho.com. What about you, John? Um, well, man, I'm, my life has been pretty busy here with a lot of moving parts going on, so I haven't had much time to do anything really so i guess if i were to plug anything it would have to be if you're if you're listening to this out here please tell someone else to subscribe tell us what tell us what you think about the show you know follow us on patreon any support you give us we'll appreciate it follow us on social media discussing network discussing trek you know share us make us popular make it let everybody (laughs) love star trek like we love it (laughs) that's all i got well said my friend 
Stand from the mountaintop. And we're not, not talking about the Paramount. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that looked like a fun place to be, though. <laughs> hey, if all those people are there to party, I'm in. I'm in. in. Oh, man, dude. Uh, my shout out is going to be for an Apple Plus original series. Uh, people have been talking about this for, I guess, over a year now. Oh, I know what you're going to say. And, Go I, and I never watched it. And the name of the show is Ted Lasso. Oh, yes. I watched it this weekend. Oh, my God. I binged the whole first season and started watching. I guess they're into the second season now. It wasn't enough to keep my to keep my uh, Apple Plus subscription from from lapsing. But <laughs> I'm, I'm a little counsel. But <laughs> but uh, man, that show is really good. They managed to make somebody who's like the corniest person in the world seem freaking amazing. And. For somebody who's been ca- called corny in his lifetime, I will think that is a win for us all. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but with that, guys, we thank you for joining. What did you think of this episode, Hippocratic Oath? What did we miss? Uh, what tidbits should we have been, we have been talking about? Please write in and let us know at fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Thank you for joining, guys. And until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Jumping in right here for a quick word from Eagle Moss. Eagle Moss is the world's leading licensed collectible company. Eagle Moss is running a sweepstakes for Star Trek Cruise 2022. The grand prize will include a complimentary Ocean View cabin for two on the sold out 2022 Star Trek Cruise. If you want to participate, simply go to tinylittleships.com and sign up. Again, that's tinylittleships.com. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.